0: I'm Carrie Benedette, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalize you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. A little bit about me. I'm an education consultant specializing in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy, passion and compassion for those in need of help, and I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. Well, welcome to another episode of Thriving Matters, and my guest this week is none other than Holly Hartley. and. At the moment Holly is saying hi from the UK so Holly how are you? <laughs> I'm really well thank you Carrie how are you? Well we're being blown along the eastern seaboard here in Sydney we've got torrential rain everything's flooding and I gather that's not the case in London.
1: Last time we spoke I was working in London but at the minute I'm based, well I live in the Peak District in the north so Here, we get it all sorts, four seasons in one day. Today, it really has ranged from torrential rain to really lovely sunset this evening. So, uh, yeah, inclement is the word.
0: That's a beautiful way to end the day, though, with the sunset like that. It's sensational. So we're not here to talk about sunsets, or perhaps we are. We're all talking about how you thrive in life and work, Holly. And look, I'm just really interested in your background. You've had 20 years of experience working in schools running the gamut all the way to principal and executive principal. Mm -hmm. You are a geography teacher. And I've got to tell you, what a joy to be teaching about the world. What a joy. And I believe you can um, deliver a rousing assembly. Is that right? (laughs) You
1: really have been reading my bio, Carrie. Absolutely. I mean, you know, obviously I love working with young people, but my love for geography and my love for travel hasn't diminished you know I'm 44 now and that whole that has really characterized my life in so many ways when I was a kid my dad used to work for British Airways and back then you know early 80s he used to be able to jump on a plane with him and travel with him whenever he went off on his trips and I remember being a little girl and we used to have a world map by the breakfast table and we'd talk about where he was around the world at that time and You know, I can remember being at university and it would be cheaper for me to get a flight from Manchester to Cairo, say, than it was to get a train from Manchester to London. So that's really where that love of the world has come from. And it's never changed. Travel is still my greatest passion, without a doubt. It's
0: amazing, isn't it? During COVID times, I've been able to travel around the world. I've come to, you know, Europe and the UK this week as well. So tell us a little bit about south africa tell us a little bit about new york and some of the other places there because this is how you've developed your leadership skills how you have developed your expertise because now you're working within a school but you have Mm -hmm. also developed your own business rediscovery Mm -hmm. yeah
1: yeah so gosh it all seems like such a dim and distant memory now i suppose I read a lot. I read widely and I read very, very often. And I think that for me, Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why, is a really good way to kind of summarise why I do what I do. You know, my thing is, I don't care who you are, where you come from, what your background is, that everybody has the right to a great education that can transform their life. You know, when I graduated from university, I I didn't for one minute think that I would end up being a teacher, but I've always had a really strong sense of social justice and equality. So when I graduated from university, I took on a job working in New York as a counsellor for adults with quite severe learning difficulties. And that you know, was a really, really incredible experience. That was on the back of having spent a good six months out in South Africa working for a university out there, or working on one of their scholarship programmes where we worked in particular communities, trying to support young people to get onto the scholarship programme to get into the university and this kind of mixed into that dream or that passion that I've always had about traveling the world and what I found was that I kind of stumbled upon education if you like by absolute happen chance so I'd done this job in South Africa I'd done this job in New York after I left New York I went to work in the Docklands in London nothing to do with education in a high-profile job where I earned a lot of money but I think I lasted maybe 12 months and I realized you know what this isn't for me because it didn't chime with my why it didn't fit with who I am as an individual. So what I did at that point was I thought, you know what, I'm going to go back and I'm going to pursue one of the things that I love, which is to teach about geography. And, I really am an accidental teacher. I'm certainly an accidental head teacher. When I first started teaching, I taught in quite a tough school in inner city Manchester. I did that for quite a few years and took a break midway through there to actually go and teach it in your neck of the woods in Australia. And I worked in several places, mostly in North Queensland, but also in the Northern Territory as well. Even getting a little trip out to Melville Island where I worked for a good few months there which was an incredible experience. I also ended up running a pupil referral unit which here in the UK is a school for children who have been permanently excluded from school and are usually very marginalised in the education community and so what I've done is I've kind of, not by design I have to admit, purely by chance, just followed my heart really and followed my passions and gone from one place where I found real meaning for me to another. And I think that really underscores the career that I've had. I think when I've been in education for a few years, I suddenly got the wind beneath my wings a little bit and thought, you know what? I've actually got a really clear vision for what I think education should be. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes, you know, That clarity of leadership in a system that is so regulated by a political system, I think, is really important sometimes. And particularly when you're working with marginalised communities, I think those kinds of schools need real bravery and clarity of leadership, because I think that you have to serve the community that you work amongst. And that's about context. You know, it's not about saying that, you know, watering things down because of the community that you live in it's about fighting for that community and making sure that you meet their needs because
0: individual schools are so gloriously different yeah that's such a rich accidental pathway around your career really isn't it with all these different continents that you've been on to teach are we very different as people are our needs basically similar It's just a thought. You know, it's a really interesting question, That
1: It's a really interesting question. It made me pause to think, you know what? I don't think we are, you know, in all honesty. I think that at the core of humanity, people are very, very similar. Of course, we're shaped by culture and, of course, we're shaped by Mm. background. But I think at the end of the day people all have the same thing at their heart which is to love and to be loved and I think that we all you know as educators as parents as family members as members of a community we all want to achieve the same thing which is basically to leave things better than we find them and isn't that what education is about but isn't that what community isn't that what humanity is
0: about well for me it is Absolutely. Because I think we have a short lifetime. We're in the box a long time. We've only got a certain number of years to do something that we feel that we're responsible for.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because my career has changed over the last kind of two or three years. And that notion about being in the box for a long time, you know, really strikes a chord with me now. And there's a really, really powerful book that I've read over the last couple of years called The Untethered Soul by a guy called Michael Singer. I can thoroughly recommend that book because I think one of the things that has characterised my career is that I've got a tendency to worry a little bit and think I can get things out of perspective. And this book articulates perfectly this notion of being in the box a long time. You know, He kind of says, you know, here we are, we're on a rock spinning throughout space, we are but a grain of sand you know
0: in the grand scheme of things what have you got to worry about you know oh absolutely absolutely we have to try and do the best we can each day and I'm just thinking in all these experiences that you've had has there been something that helps you rise each day get out of bed is there something that puts a smile on your face in the morning that goes come on Holly let's go you've got work to do today because working with communities, working in education. I mean, it's complex and you're all working towards what the best outcome is for children and what the best outcome will be for society. So is there something that gets a smile on your face? How do you get out of bed each morning? (laughs) That's a good question.
1: You know what? It can be really complicated and you can look at it against a, a political backdrop. You can look at it as, you know, Really complicated in a local community and some of the issues that young people are dealing with, but actually, at the heart of this, we're teaching kids whether they're six years old or whether they're sixteen year old. They're kids, you know. And for me, that kind of pureness of thought is what really keeps me going because even when I've worked with young people who've probably done some things that you know that have got them permanently excluded from school or whatever it may be, you know, I always think that there is always 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 a beautiful person inside there and sometimes what we need to do is just help them to find that person and help them to learn. and it sounds trite but to help them to learn to love themselves a little bit now you know some of the schools that i've worked in have served particularly marginalized communities and particularly diverse communities you know i've worked with over 50 different languages students all over the world and by virtue of the young people that you're working with you're working with kids from everywhere And I think when you think of it, they're just kids. You know, all we've got to do is give them the absolute best that we possibly can do. And I think that that's the beauty of education, because when you look at it in such a simplistic way, it's about igniting that spark. And I believe that every single person, a small child, a teenager or even an adult for that matter, has that spark within them that can be ignited. It's just a case of finding that individual touch paper that we all have. I remember in particular when I worked at my pupil referral unit I was talking about before, I went in in really challenging circumstances and behaviour wasn't great at the time and kids were feeling quite disillusioned. The staff were feeling quite disillusioned. You know, it was proving really hard to shift. And then one day I suddenly thought, actually, this is really simple. We can't make them learn, but we can make them want to learn and it's the difference between the two and it's a case of finding out what it is that they want to learn about and that's about empowerment it's about enabling these kids to feel that they can be successful you know not everybody's going to be a doctor or a lawyer or a brain surgeon you know some people are going to be teachers and hairdressers and builders and gardeners you know and this is what makes the world go round and we've all got that thing that we're all passionate and interested in and it's a case of finding it for each and every one of us and you know what I'm 44 and sometimes I think I don't think I fully satisfied that within me now you know and I think as you get older sometimes that changes and as you distill your life down I think you know you finally start to see some of the rocks in the stream some of the things that are most important to you and sometimes until mm. a little bit later in life
0: I had a picture in my head of you with these kids realising, you know, we have to make them want to learn. So that's the gift, isn't it? Any of the inspirational books that we read, any of the movies that we watch, all about education. It's always about what spurs them on. It's the inspiration or the motivation to just be a little bit better than we have been today. In saying that now, you've changed your pathway just recently and our listeners that would be really interested, what was the prompt that moved you into your new venture? And tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. It kind of goes back to that thing I just mentioned before about, you know, as you get older, I think that for me anyway, my priorities have possibly simplified a little bit. What's important to me now in life, I think has always been important, but it's been amongst a sea of other things. And actually some of the things have drifted away and left me with fewer things, but actually now are of greater importance. So, I got married 14 years ago this year and I've got two young children and I was fortunate enough that I climbed the career ladder quite early really and I became ahead you know in my early 30s at quite a young age and I had both my children and my husband was a stay-at-home dad but the types of schools that I've worked in have always meant that I've worked incredibly long hours and I began to reflect a little bit over time about the impact that this was having on my family and on my personal life you know I've always been one of those people that I thought I could have it all you know I don't sleep very well I don't sleep enough you know I try and lever as much into my life as I possibly can I don't sit and do nothing I never have it drives my husband absolutely mad And I don't know, as I was getting older, I was suddenly starting to feel a little bit more tired, I guess. I think years and years of working in a system that demands long hours started to take its toll. And I just, something in me started to shift and I started to feel quite different. And there was a number of times whereby, you know, I'm quite a pragmatic person. I'm quite a balanced person that I actually felt a little bit guilty about being away from my family and the price that they were having to pay sometimes particularly when I was an executive head and I was working across a group of schools you know I was away from them a lot and I just suddenly started to think you know what I can't get those years back and I need to really work out and prioritize what is most important for me and I always remember a book called The Chimp Paradox by a guy called Professor Steve Peters and he talks about this thing I think he calls it the touchstone of life which is if you're there in the last two minutes of your life What piece of advice would you give to your favorite grandchild? And whilst I get meaning and I get tremendous value from the work that I do, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, my family is the single most important thing to me in my life. And I really started to take that on board. And then one Sunday morning, two years ago, totally out of the blue, my husband's mum died. We literally, I mean, she was a very young 60 something. She ran, she skied, she cycled, she incredibly fit woman and literally like a light switch going off, that was it. And for me, that was really quite a clarifying moment for me at which point I thought, you know what, you're not gonna get this back. And I just was worried that I could look back in my 60s and think, oh my gosh, if only. And so I made the decision there and then pretty much that you know what, I was gonna give a year's notice, but I was just gonna take a few years on a slightly different route in order to be able to get a little bit more balance in my life it's the single bravest thing I have ever done. Yes, because of the financial implications of what I did. You know, I had a big career, had a great salary, but also surprisingly enough, because I don't consider myself to have a massive ego, but after I'd done it, the loss of status bothered me far more than I expected it to, you know, and that's me just being really, really honest. Yeah. And I start yeah. to question my identity, who am I and so on and so forth. But You know, I haven't stepped away totally and done nothing. I obviously now continue to do my education consultancy, which I love. But when I took my time out, I also went back to university and did a postgrad in personal and business coaching. And I set up my online business as well, which is called the Rediscovery of Me, which is basically an online space where it fits into this whole premise that I have that, I believe that the more you understand yourself, the more you can improve your life. And I think, you know, the way society works at the moment, we're always looking for the latest hack, the latest trick, the latest thing that we can implement into our lives. Mm -hmm. But actually, I think when you understand yourself, when you're in touch with yourself and who you are, that's when the light really comes on and that's when the door starts to open. Gosh, I'm using metaphors all over the place here. For me, that's what I really felt within myself in my 40s, that I felt a real shift. And actually, I feel like I know myself now better than ever before and the way that I choose to spend my time now I don't find myself striving like I used to you know I always thought that I was going to be this career lunatic for the rest of my life actually I feel really different really really different and you know what number one I can say this now I'm really proud of myself for doing it and number two I feel privileged that I did it in my 40s and that I woke up in my 40s and it didn't take me till my 60s
0: And look, I'm just listening to you. You know, you talked about not striving as much now, but I think that word "strive" versus "thrive," it's a juxtaposition, isn't it? Really, you can still thrive really well without having to strive so much that you actually blow you blow everything apart. And you're right; it's the biggest courageous thing you've ever done in your life. People will say, "Well, that's a midlife crisis, Holly."
1: Do you know what I say to that? It's a flipping renaissance, it's a revolution, it's an awakening is what it is. You're a renaissance, I love it, I love it, I love it. When I made that decision and I told people what I was going to do, people were like, what? You know, people really didn't understand why I was making the decision that I was making. And we're kind of looking at me like, is she all right? Is this a midlife crisis? I find it absolutely fascinating. There's got to be a PhD in there somewhere about the study (laughs) of a midlife crisis, you know. But it's that thing about finding your passion
0: and following your passion and having the guts to do it, actually. That's very funny because I've got adult kids who, um, when I did something similar, but took me 10 years later than you, took me to my 50s to do this massive trek that I did, the Kokoda Trail up in Papua New Guinea, which is like a rite of passage. But I did it and, you know, the comments were, are you stark raving mad woman? That was exactly what my husband said to me and my father, are you stark raving mad woman? perhaps but I'm going to do it it does matter when you do it because you're looking at your life and when we talk about this we're born with a certainty that we have a lifetime and we don't know how long it is and so we lived with change every day don't we and there's a whole lot of struggle in in all that whether it's physical emotional mental whatever it is we all have our own particular struggles but we're also gifted with so much potential so, your story really talks about what you've done with the gifts that you've been given and you've nurtured and you've developed in yourself. And that passion goes right to the heart. So, I like to think that when we do these podcasts, it's always a story of an ordinary guy or gal mm. doing something extraordinary.
1: I was going to say, I think the thing for me as well is about learning from our parents and learning from those people that have gone before us. Sorry to cut across you, Carrie, because. I mean, for me, certainly a factor in my decision making was not only the death of my mother-in-law, but was my husband was 38 at the time and I'd have just been 42. And we have lost three out of our four parents. You know, my dad was only 47 when he died. My husband's dad was 52. And, you know, the way I've described my husband's mother dying that I certainly think that has changed who I am and the way that I view things, you know, and I think it's about taking the good that comes from those kinds of situations and using it to inform your life and your life experience, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's lessons all around us, aren't there? If we're open to them, but if we're not present, we don't get to tune into them. And if Mm. we're just so involved in what we do Mm. and it's easy, it's easy to do because our mantra in the last decade has been, Oh, how are you? Oh, I'm busy. I'm busy. And mm. it's like a frenetic energy that we have to be busy to be it be important or to have mm. some status. I was interested in your comments about, you know, it was a blow to your status, not having the big jobs, having the, the roles. It's massive, isn't it? When I left the organisation I'd worked into for 24 years, what I left was a whole community that would just say, G'day Carrie, how are you? When I walked into a school, into a building, into an office, and those connections. You know, they just sort of all worked out like a spider web. And I realized very early on, I just went, you have to, you have to now find a new community to belong to. So it's mm. going to be the community of self, then the people that you trust to build around you to help you. And so that's why I've had such a fabulous time doing the podcast. It's been part of providing me with a community as well and touching into the most amazing people that I've bumped into because I've known other people.
1: It's funny because I was totally blindsided by that loss of status thing. I was embarrassed to admit that. I really was embarrassed to admit that. But it was through talking to other people, you know, talking to other women, actually, in particular, who'd done a similar thing to you and I who all empathised and said the same thing and in some ways it is about loss of status but I think a lot of it is tied in with identity as well and who are you you know and how often you know it's interesting what you were saying about we we all kind of wear this badge of being busy all the time but I reflect back now and I think that you know I've been introduced by my job not by my person for so long you know friends would introduce me this is Holly she's a such and such and when I stopped being a such and such my friends were like well what are you now kind of thing. I'm like, well, I'm still the same person that I always was, you know, and I think it is a real clarifying thing to do, you know, and I must admit my identity took a knock in, but also actually my, um, I don't know, my confidence in some ways, really, you know, and I really, really had to work at that, really had to work at that for a while. Well, your
0: sense of certainty is also knocked. So your status, your Mm -hmm. sense of certainty, and you think of the big hits against your values, your assumptions, or your beliefs, Right you know, will either produce negative or positive emotions around that. So that acronym that has meant a huge amount to me when I first stumbled across David Rock's work, you know, he uses the notion of SCARF, S-C-A-R-F. So it's, you know, we get positive, negative responses if something hits our sense of status, our sense of certainty, our sense of autonomy, our sense of relatedness, and our sense of fairness. So they're the big triggers that we will get the responses to. So this was an emotional time as well. You made the decision, you know, for various reasons and mainly for the life of yourself and your family. That's ultimately what you did. It's now like another flower blossoming in another realm. But I imagine now you're actually saying, I will not talk to Carrie at this particular time on this particular day because no, that's sacrosanct with my family.
1: No. I've got to be really honest, you know, there are still certain parts of me that I have got a long way to go with regards to being, you know. I think I've always been a workaholic and I haven't fully mastered that yet. So talking to you at this time it is no problem at all. I love it. But it's interesting actually because I left, December 2018 it was that I left and I left a community, like you working with a large team of people You know, over a thousand children, massive network and all that kind of stuff. And When I left at the Christmas, by the 10th of January, because I knew I was going to be going back to university and I knew I was going to be building my online business from scratch, knowing nothing about that whatsoever. And by the 10th of January, I had an office and I rented an office somewhere because... The break was just too much, you know. And I live on a farm in the Peak District quite remotely. And it was within 10 days, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I can't go from being surrounded by so many people to being here on my own. So I rented an office, you know, like a community office kind of space where you can, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that was great. You know, I've got to admit, I wasn't in the right place where I could just go from kind of 100 miles an hour to zero. I had to bring the plane into land quite gradually. And actually working amongst other people who were doing a similar thing to me either doing a startup or career change or building up their own business you know it's amazing regardless of the sector that you're in those experiences really can be shared and i was so grateful and you know i made some amazing connections who i'm still you know even though i work in a slightly different place now still really friendly with today who still help and support me tremendously and that for me i think education in some ways can be quite a closed community and stepping out of education, whilst the skills are really transferable, you know, I was quite, I don't know, I, I never felt like I had my blinkers on. But when I stepped out, it's like this whole other world out there. you know. And <laughs> I do think that skill set are really valuable, but there is nonetheless an awful lot of learning that I've still got
0: to do. That's what I found as well. I found a whole new world out of education. And interesting, people are so interesting. And in what they do, how they do it, what they can share with you that challenges the way you've always thought and I think that's been one of the biggest things that I've learned as well Holly apart from what you've read has there been somebody else in your life has there been another occasion that's really affected the way that you show up each day is there a mantra that you use each day is there a dream you've got or a goal that you haven't yet reached
1: oh yeah absolutely there is i think for me as a leader one of the things that i learned that i felt i had to build on was bravery i've always strived to work in schools where there was work to be done i could work with a team of people to provide a better deal for the kids and i think that at times that calls for real bravery i don't think as a leader that you can underestimate the importance of bravery yeah and You know, there's been some real times where I've really been, you know, up against it, had my feet against the fire and, you know, my back against the wall. And as the leader, and essentially it's an absolute privilege of a job, but it can also be an incredibly lonely job. There's been real times where I've really had to dig deep, really had to dig deep. When I think about those times, there's certain things I think of. I have an abiding memory of being 14 years of age and seeing Nelson Mandela walk through the gates to freedom. I remember my whole childhood was characterised by that and I've still got a press clipping of that day and I've got another press clipping of when, you know, democracy in South Africa first came to fruition and I used to think, you know what, if he can sit in that cell on Robben Island for 27 years or for however long it took, I can do this. I really can do this, you know, and every now and then I'd have to go into crying a corner and grip my teeth and all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, because at the end of the day, we're all the same. We're just people. The, the CEO of the largest company on the planet or whether you are, I don't know, a gardener in your local community or the local police officer or the local head teacher or the local pharmacist, whatever it may be, we're all just people. And you know whatever line of work you're in we all have a need for bravery and I think that it's about knowing yourself and, and that sense of self and who you are and I think when you say goals in life I think my goal in life is probably number one to provide for my family you know as we've said already I really want to make sure that my kids are enabled to be happy and healthy and successful I want to add value in the work you know in the work that I do but I also just want to be at peace. and I think I've always had this notion of striving, and I think society at the moment really sets us up for that in some ways, you know. We climb the housing ladder, we climb the career ladder. You know, we're always striving, and go back to your thing before, Carrie, about the closeness of striving and thriving. For me I think I have made that switch from striving to thriving and I'm still working it out you know I'm no I am by no stretch of the imagination the finished article far far from it in fact but I certainly feel within myself a growing sense of satisfaction with what it is that I want and where I find those little small beautiful things in life and you know what sometimes that does come from speaking to a thousand young people about how they can achieve their dreams and I still love doing that but it also comes at half past six in the morning when I go out for a walk on my own and I go and walk you know on the hills where I live at home I get a tremendous amount of satisfaction from that and I'm quite surprised at myself really you know if I'd have listened (laughs) to the things I'm saying now 10 or 15 years ago I would never have thought I'd be here talking to you about these kinds of things and
0: life's a funny thing it is, and you've got to have a sense of humour about it as well. I mean, we can have lots of worry, but I think why waste a good worry when you can find a way to be peaceful? And I think COVID has done that for a lot of people. More and more people I talk to have said, Well, look, I've picked up those habits, those hobbies that I used to do. I've learnt some new ones. I'm actually taking time out to be mindful each day. You know, when I take that first sip of coffee or tea in the morning, I'm actually savouring it. We're near the Georges River here in Sydney, near Botany Bay, where Captain Cook would have come in and landed. But we have water around us and we have a lot of parks and trees. So the bird life is absolutely beautiful. So part of what we did during COVID was put two lounges out under our cupboard area. And that became the area where we met. We'd come and sit together. People just breaking up from their work, if there was a break on, if there was lunch. But what I found is it's the early morning when the sun's rising and the birds are all chirping. You can go and sit there and listen to the rain. It's been pelting. I've gone out, wrapped myself up in a rug because it's winter here and just done some mindfulness out there. And it's become like a little haven at the back of the house, which is really quite lovely. The people are telling you all the different things that they're doing and they're reclaiming it. And those family dinners where we we had to ring everybody and book up a month ahead to get them all in the house at the one time, you know, they're now saying, well, actually, we don't want to give that up, you know. Now we can sit around and we can bring out the scrabble or we can just talk or we can reminisce, we can laugh, um, we can share what books we're reading, we can tell each other what was the highlight of the day or what was three things we did for somebody else today.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think they're the gifts that we've been given in all this. To me, that's part of thriving and that's part of recognising in yourself where you, what you need to let go of, what's not serving us well anymore, You may make somebody's day the best day. You may be the only person that speaks to them or acknowledges them. So why wouldn't you do it? Holly, my last question today would be around our current world and perhaps an insight you've had into what we could wish for the world. What would be your best hope with a little bit of advice for not just the adults in the world but also our children who will be here after us, who will take carriage of perhaps more instances like we're experiencing this pandemic. Look, maybe huge debt, economical debt, different ways of working, different ways of living. So what would be a piece of advice that just comes up for you right now? I would say you've got to
1: live for the now that's about integrity but it's also about realizing what you have at your hand right in this very moment you know i mean for me integrity is important and i know it's often touted as a bit of a buzz you know particularly when you're talking about leadership but for me it's always important to do the right thing even when no one is watching that applies to every single situation classic c.s lewis quote there but i so believe that to be true and i think You know, Going back to the notion of striving and thriving again, I think that too much of the time we spend our life living off a list, we spend our life checking things off, thinking that we need to do that in order to move on to the next thing. And actually, when we've got to the bottom of the list, we can take a break, we can start to live our lives or we'll have got to a certain point or a certain plateau where actually our life will begin but you know what, this is it right here, right now. And when you live with integrity, when you make the right decision and you do the right thing, that's when the sum of the whole becomes greater than its parts. And, you know, particularly talking about, you know, paying things forward and making things, creating things better for the future generations and leaving them better than we found them. That's absolutely the case now you know those decisions that we should be making on a day by day on a minute by minute basis should be based on the integrity of doing what's best both for us but also for other people as well and i think it's very easy to get wrapped up in you know the hectic pace of life and actually to not to notice the amazing things and the amazing people that we're surrounded by
0: yeah that's beautiful well at the end of our sessions we always have a call to action What I've heard loud and strong today is make sure you know what your why is. What do you want to learn about in life? So listeners, what we're going to charge you with this week is having a think about what do you still want to learn about and why would you do that? What's your why? But be brave about it. Find the bravery in all this and let's leave things better than we found them. So I think some pearls of wisdom from Holly, from an amazing woman, who has made a huge choice to be present for herself and her family to take the most amazing career and be able to renaissance that into something brand new. Mm. Have a think about what your renaissance might be, but I love this notion of what do you still want to learn about and sharpen up that bravery aspect. I just think we've got such a red hot shot to make a little bit of a ripple for the rest of the world. Let's leave things better than we found them. Your thriving matters. Holly, if anyone would like to contact you, what's your best contact details?
1: Yeah, they can get me via my website, rediscoveryofme.com and the email is contact at rediscoveryofme.com.
0: Right, great, great resource there, everybody. If you'd like to know more about what I do, Carrie Benedette. You know that I'm the gal that likes to talk about thriving and all things thriving matters and who I talk to are ordinary guys and gals doing extraordinary things in life. And that's you too. So go gently till we talk again. I hope you've enjoyed this. If you have, please pop over to your favorite podcast source, whether it's Spotify, Apple podcasts, and give us a thumbs up. It's always helpful. I'm happy to have five stars if you can give them to me. Thanks, Holly. Bye, everybody. Just remember your thriving matters. Tune in again next time. Bye for now.